Hello, my name is Anna, and if you're into scary stories and creepy real-life happenings, then I think you will love my podcast. Let me tell you a scary story. Join me every week as I read to you stories of the paranormal that actually happen to ordinary people. These are things that can't be explained and don't always make much sense, and they are sure to intrigue and to give you the shivers. So join me on your favourite podcast listening platform and let me tell you a scary story. Welcome to episode 56, Wisconsin. Today we're going to discuss the legend of Paradise Road. Then we're going to cover Richard Messick, a.k.a. the Mad Biter. I'm your host, Chris, and joining me as always is James. Good evening, Chris. Good evening, everybody. How you doing, my brother? Doing good, doing good. Looking forward to another informational, fun-filled episode. Absolutely, man. I love this stuff. So uh, why don't we go ahead and get into your topic and discuss the legend of Paradise Road. Indeed, sir. Everywhere you travel in this great nation, there always seems to be a scary tale or place intended to scare the crap out of the local teenage population. Well, be that as it may, this week's point of interest takes us to the dark back roads near Jefferson, a tale about a seemingly harmless two-lane road winding through a tunnel of trees. I don't know about you, but it always sounds, you know. <laughs> I love dark, scary tunnel, roads. Tunnel of trees, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Better than tunnel of love. Yeah, indeed. But alas, once night falls, a whole different beast is born. According to local legend, three sisters once lived in a house on Paradise Road. They were accused of witchcraft. How long? How, how often did that happen? Every single time you yep. get women by themselves. Yep. And subsequently, unfortunately, they were hanged from the trees on their property. You know, this may sound like a common ghost tale to most, and I can't blame anyone for thinking that way, but when trying to explain the disturbing things you can encounter out there, it's a pretty good starting point. Now, for every mystery, there is usually someone who knows the truth, but it can prove difficult when you start looking and asking around. You will either get attention seekers who will embellish the facts, people are too scared to speak up at all, or the all-popular doubter who secretly believes in the merit but won't go on record as a witness which is aggravating. It's like, <laughs> if you know something, say something, you know? If you see something, say something. That's right. Well, so far anyway, to this day, the witch tale is still one of the most common explanations for the disturbing things you can encounter out there at night. And make no mistake about it, they are quite disturbing. Not everyone has an encounter on Paradise Road, and people will see what they want regardless. You know, people will do that. If they're familiar with the urban legend, they're much more likely to experience it in person. Of course they are, because, you know, when you go out there, you're going to fill your head with all these premonitions. and Oh, preconceived notion preconceived is a powerful notions. thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
But haunted or not, the secluded darkness alone makes it a seriously spooky place. And for those more sensitive to phenomena, experiences range from run-of-the-mill ghost sightings to logic-defying horror. Ooh, I like that. I like logic-defying horror. Give me some more of that. Like any good scary story, there is an omnipresent dread in the area. (laughs) Do you you experience feelings of dread in your attic or basement? Is it just your ex-wife? That's right. Footsteps seem to follow you everywhere, for one thing, and the woods get super dark at night. But beyond that, Paradise Road deviates a bit towards some deeply unsettling Ari Aster-type shit. We're talking short, robed figures running around in the woods. <laughs> cool. I started laughing. I said short-robed? It's like, is there like some backwoods illegal massage parlor going on? No, it I sounds, like, sounds more like Jawas back there. They're going to fucking take apart your car. Exactly. I wish I could make that Jawa noise. Oh, I know. Right it's now. too hard for me to do, yeah. Anyway, we got the short robe figures. We have the inhuman disembodied screams, and one account involves someone being paced by shadows. Wow. Uh, yeah. Fun stuff. Yeah. I, if I was getting paced by a shadow, I think I'd freak, dude. <laughs> and I, I mean, I know, we, we investigate. We do things. We're yeah. Like, cool. I've seen a shadow before, but if I'm in the woods and getting paced by a shadow, yeah, I don't know. I mean, if it's standing on two legs, I wouldn't be so scared. If it was on four, then I'd probably be a bit more scared. One of the more gruesome details involves a spectral decapitated raccoon with blood that will glisten in headlights. Somebody kill Rocket. Somebody kill Rocket. Bastards. I don't know. Incidentally, the witchy imagery recalls the cult Wisconsin horror short Coven, the subject of the essential 2000 documentary American movie. In it, a young artist is terrorized by hooded figures and robes surrounding his car in a rural area. Sounds Jawas. Sounds like Jawas to me. They're going to take your Sounds stuff, like man. Jawas, man. This is obviously a work of fiction, but given the similarity in subject matter and geographic proximity, Coven was shot in the Milwaukee area, where the filmmaker and documentary subject Mark Bouchard resides. It's not a stretch to imagine how the two stories may have influenced each other. The problem with stories of the unexplained is there is only so much mileage you can get out of them, one which we've discussed. Before, oh, yeah, you know? many, many times. You know, without any real proof, we're forced to rely mostly on incomplete secondhand accounts, but then there's at least that one real-life horror story to take place in a general vicinity of the paradise. Ooh, Road. let's get into that. It's a sordid affair that sounds like something out of a Coen Brothers movie. M married her husband, Reuben, less than a year after his death of his first wife. That's a little weird. As far as I know, there's no relation to American movies' Mark Borchard. It's just another weird coincidence. But soon after the marriage took a dark turn, with Diane becoming increasingly paranoid, manipulative, and abusive toward Reuben's two children, and Reuben began having an affair. In their divorce, Diane was ordered to leave their home, and she snapped. She hired Doug Vest, a teenager at Jefferson High School where Diane worked as a teacher's aide, to kill Reuben, whom she said was abusing her. That sounds like a Coen Brothers movie. Yeah, that's bad. She offered him $20,000, two cars, and her wedding rings as payment. That's a hell of a payment. Yeah. Being 17 and hardly a hardened criminal, Vest brought his delinquent 15-year-old cousin, (laughs) Mike Maldonado, and a teen named Joshua Yank. I don't know, Yank, I like Yankee. Joshua, uh, Joshua Yankee. Joshua Yankee. Yank. Joshua Yankee. Yep, anyway, brought him in to help as well. They killed Reuben with a sawed-off shotgun on Easter morning, April 3rd, 1994. 
and it all occurred at the Borchardt family home on Bear Hole Road, which runs immediately parallel to Paradise of Coles. Mm-hmm. So even though the quartet involved was promptly arrested and charged, there will forever be a bloody footnote on the road that already has a very sinister history. Just adding more, uh, more yeah. energy to the fire, man. Yep. Here are some other facts and an actual encounter story about the road itself. One undocumented mention is that it was part of the Underground Railroad, which is very cool. And so between 1842 and 1861, more than 100 escaping slaves were helped to freedom in Canada by Wisconsin residents. Cool. Bless your hearts. Yeah. But because both the enslaved and their helpers had to conceal their work, details of how the fugitives passed through the Wisconsin area are very scarce. Okay. So I couldn't dig up anything to actually substantiate whether this road was actually part of it or not. What okay. It said to be. That's, cool. That's all I can say. That's all that matters. That's all that matters. It said yep. it was to be. That's it. Now, how do you find Paradise Road, you ask? Well. <laughs> Here we go. Write this down. Is, Get your pens out and write it down. That's right. It is a small winding road just a few miles east of the city of Jefferson. You take Highway 18 east for about six miles, and you take a ride on Paradise Road. What may you find when you get there? I'm glad you asked. Go run down the list. <laughs> You'll find short robe figures have been seen roaming in the woods. Looking for R2 units. Which... <laughs> <laughs> Amen, man. You see shadow figures. You actually see bodies hanging in trees. Whoa. Inhuman screams have been heard. People have reported uneasy slash eerie feelings when they are on the road. A lot of people get creeped out in the woods anyway. Yeah, true. The sound of footsteps that seem to follow you around. Now, are those echoes or, or you know what I mean? If yeah. They're like in those, if they're like in a cave or whatever you call it, the tunnel of trees. Tunnel of trees. Yeah. yeah. So it just makes you wonder. And, of course, we go back to poor uh, Rocket. Motors have witnessed a decapitated raccoon lying in the road. There is blood on the raccoon's body, but there is no blood on the road. The head is also missing. Hence decapitated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dur. Dur. Now this is all very interesting indeed, but let's you know, let's hear from someone who was actually there, what do you say? Now this was part of an article written by Jess Watkins, a uh, very nice young lady, back in two thousand eleven. Yeah, she explains her encounters on Paradise Road. She wrote, My friends and I had a knack for getting into trouble, going wherever ghosts might be, researching the haunted places or urban myths of our southeast Midwest town. That's a weird way to say that. South, yeah, southeast Midwest, yeah, no kidding. The following is a recap of what I've witnessed while traveling down Paradise Road. And believe me, we went more than once. I am willing to admit that the frenzy of legends surrounding this street may have toyed with my gullible and willing mind, but I'm also pretty honest, and I had friends with me who witnessed the same things that I did. With that said, you may take it or leave it. Oh, I'll take it. Let's do it. I like when people say take it or leave it. Look, I saw what I saw. You don't believe me? Kiss my butt. Shove it. Well, the first thing they, they witnessed, dense layers of fog that parted exactly when they approached the street. That would be cool. They're very cool. Yeah. <laughs> Having walked the whole street's length, I was aware of a shadow floating on the opposite side of the street, keeping our pace. Cool. This was at night, of course, and I tested it to make sure it did not belong to any of us. Neat. Yeah. That would... Ooh, ooh this next one's a good cool. One. A friend and I both witnessed shadowed figures climbing up the trees. Ghost monkeys. I love it. Scary. 
Upon a random stop in the car, our headlights shone directly on the most intricately carved eye on the side of a tree. Neat. Yeah, that would be weird. Yeah, mm-hmm. Looking at you, kid. <laughs> Having thought we parked in front of an abandoned house with no lights on, a friend witnessed a hand pull back a window curtain and disappeared again. Oh, it gave me chills. Cool. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. I'm going there. We quickly became enthralled with this place that held so much sinister energy. We took it upon ourselves to interview the people that lived on Paradise Road and wrote about it in the school paper. When we began the interviews, hardly anyone would talk to us. One of the houses we went to still burned peat for heat in the house. If anybody needs to know what peat is and the younger people, it is like a heavy moss. It's very, very heavy wooden moss that burns very slowly. But, yeah, you better have the chimney open because oh, it's yeah. smoky stuff. Hell, yeah. And both vehicles they were using nearly got stuck in the mud while at one of those houses. Most of the residents claimed urban legend. The police continued to patrol the street on Halloween as it's become a popular place for teens to go seeking a good scare. Of course. Paradise Road, fact or fiction. I can't say with any proof that Paradise Road is legitimately haunted. I do know what I've seen, and that's enough to make me think the spooky street has a vibe I don't want to mess with. It's creepy, that's a fact, but I probably wouldn't have gone there in the first place if it had not been for small-town urban legends, but I'm glad I did. All right, so, Road Warriors, there you have it. If you are ever in Jefferson, Wisconsin, head east out of town about six miles and make that right turn. This is why I do these point of interest segments now. I like to share places that you can actually visit and experience for yourself, whether or not there is any activity. Most of the stories or short notes I've found reveal pretty much the same encounters and sightings. Personally, I would never pass it up, and next time I am up that way, you can bet I'm going to go. You know, because what good is an urban legend, you know, Chris, if you don't, you're not you're not willing to go out there and and challenge it or explore it or experience it or you know that's what they're made for, for yourself that's what exactly. they're made for man as an investigator and i think i speak for chris here witness accounts are awesome but i need evidence before i just leap amen you know that said let's go for a drive in rural wisconsin what do you say brother that sounds like a plan man that place sounds cool because <laughs> you know we, we we have uh uh patterson road here in houston yes we do but that doesn't have anywhere near the amount of uh, legend that this place has. So they claim. Anyway. So they claim. I mean, I think that only has like ghosts and stuff. It has That's it. a, uh, I believe it has a platoon of ghost mm-hmm. Civil War soldiers. Right. I mean, knock on your knock on your vehicle and stuff. Yeah, but the, the, the legend is you have to stop your car and turn it off and leave it yeah. on the bridge and you'll hear the knocking. But you're going to hear knocking anyway because the car engine pings after you turn it off. Yeah. You're going to hear, no. yeah, it's very hard to substantiate. Right, right. Because we did actually go investigate. As a matter of fact, when we formed WHPS, that was the first place we went to actually investigate. Yeah. I've been down a few times, and it's just, you know, it's it's scary because it's near a cemetery, but it's also, there's no streetlights on it. Yeah. So it's super dark. Yeah. And see, that's what I'm saying. People see paranormal stuff or hear things or feel things because they're just creeped out. But if we had, like, shadow figures following you and Jawas there, that'd be cool as shit. (laughs) We don't have any of that there i'm loving that i love it yeah funny. i'm definitely ready to go down that road yes sir grab me a snack and let's go check out some some jawas indeed and some headless rockets <laughs> <laughs> that is that is the weirdest legend of any place we've talked about yet is a fucking decapitated raccoon hey 
What do you I mean, <laughs> I see that all the time here because people hit people hit them. It's not a decapitated person either. No, it's it, not. It's a, a raccoon. Decapitated animal. Like that's, who who like sit who like thinks enough to like pass by roadkill and say that's a decapitated raccoon. That's and peculiar. It's, and it's spectral, but the blood when the light shine when it's the still car there. light shine on, they said it it actually shines when yeah. the, when the light, car lights hit it. And I thought that was really interesting. I bet you somebody decapitated that raccoon, saved the head and kept the head. So now the the body is looking for the head. Probably. That's what it is. After in the Cause road. there are, there are uh, stories of uh, haunted railroad workers who, yes. who lose their head and you see their bodies floating yeah. uh, on their tracks with like a, a carrying a, that old ghostly lamp lantern looking, looking for their for head. Yeah. So that's, that's what the, the raccoon's doing. It's looking for yep. his head, man. Some dickhead has the raccoon's head <laughs> on his shelf somewhere. And that raccoon is just looking for his head. Man. Yep. Return the head, dude. Come on. Put the head back. Dude, don't be a dick. Come on. Come on. All right, man. Well, great story. I loved it. All right. That was super cool. Uh, why don't we take a break and then we will get into uh, the second story of tonight. Hi, I'm Christine and I'd like to introduce you to the True Crime Files podcast, a bi-weekly podcast that focuses on mysterious disappearances and unsolved murders. Every two weeks, we'll be releasing an episode that'll help you get to know a case really well without having to invest a lot of your time. Derived from the articles upon the True Crime Files website, you'll find that our show covers a diversity of victims and perspectives. You'll probably also notice that our episodes are narrated by Scott Fuller from the Frozen Truth and Status Pending Podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to the True Crime Files today so that you never miss an episode. Thanks so much for listening, being a part of our true crime community, and helping to shine a light on cases that might otherwise be overlooked or underreported. Okay, so let's go ahead and talk about this particular fuckface we got coming up called Richard Masek. Sound like an ass. He is an asshole, a.k.a. the Mad Biter. Now, born in McHenry, Illinois in 1948, Richard Masek grew up in Chicago with an abusive father who would use physical means to control and discipline the family. Sounds like a real winner already. Oh, boy. Sounds like a recipe for a serial killer already. Mm-hmm. His father was a successful self-made man who owned a brewery in the upper middle class area. He would physically assault his sons and his wife until they were living with a good deal of fear for him. Now, while he was in school in Elmwood, Illinois, Masek was caught and arrested for stealing the panties of a neighbor. What? Upon questioning, he revealed that he would often enjoy chewing on the soft cotton crotches of the panties. Uh... Yeah. Mm-hmm. After his father died of a heart attack in 1966, he was arrested for voyeurism as he used a small handheld telescope to look through women's bedrooms at night. Yeah, he deviant, freak, weirdo. Of course, I'm going to blame my upbringing. Uh, I, I had a bad childhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
1974, his girlfriend's daughter was found dead. And while he was never convicted of this, suspicions point to Masek being responsible for the child's death. Shit. So in 1974, in Fontana, Wisconsin, on August 15th of that year, when Masek was 26, he arrived at Abbey Resort in Fontana on Geneva Lake, Wisconsin. He walked in through the main door and began to wander the halls, poking his head into every open door he came across looking for a victim. Eventually, he came upon Paula J. Cupid, one of the maids at the resort. Once he entered the room, he told Paula he was looking for his son who was lost, and the maid offered to help find him. However, when she made a move to leave, Masek attacked her and stabbed her and strangled her with a towel. He then beat her and stabbed her in the heart before he began to gnaw and mutilate her body by biting and chewing it, as well as cutting slits into her eyelids. This is where he began to get named the Mad Biter. You friggin' freak. Two months later in Wawasota, he raped Sharon Kusalek, just 24 years old. He hit her in the head, which put her into a coma. She would survive the attack and eventually come out of the coma and was then able to offer the police a description of her assailant. Mm. Later that year, he struck again. You know, that sounds kind of Cape Fearish. Does it? You remember when De Niro in that scene beat I, the hell out of that sweet gal? I mean, it was a horrible scene to watch, but he bit a big old hunk out of her face. I mean, he was I just animalistic. That. I saw it one time, so you, you have to remind me. But that, that's hey. what happened in the movie, huh? Yeah, that's that's when you read that. That's what it reminded me of. And to that's remind you, really? Brutal. Wow. I mean, it was a brutal scene, man. Disturbing. Maybe, maybe they took some, uh, you know, some inspiration maybe. from him. Maybe. I, oh, I mean, because that was in the 90s, right? Yeah. This is long after he, he uh, did his crime. So, yeah, yeah it could be. Just... Later that year, he struck again. This time in Crystal Lake, Illinois. Crystal Lake. I know. It's a great <laughs> it's, name. Man, we just got all kinds of puns in this <laughs> damn episode already. Shit. But he, he's not fun like Jason Voorhees, so. No. 26-year-old Nancy Lossman was found dead inside her apartment. Masek had strangled her with a Venetian blind cord, viciously bit her, her right breast, and then had sex with the body after she had died. Okay, now see... <sighs> God, that sounds familiar. That's I'm I'm saying that's you, straight you think, up you Kate think, Fear shit. Maybe they did take a, a lot of inspiration from this thing. He was brutally freaky in that movie. So was was, was like, he a necrophiliac? Uh, he did not do that. Part. Okay, I think that was probably Hollywood restraints. But the biting, the biting was he he. I mean, he assaulted, beat the living hell out of him. I believe he raped. Okay, he didn't really show that, but he did the biting. But he was you know, quite vicious. That you're talking about the biting and stuff. And I've I've I want to say I've heard of a few others killers doing the biting part, but not many. Yeah. Not many though. Yeah, cuz he's kind of sounding familiar. I mean, I know we do people that we've never really heard of. Right. But his MO sounds very familiar to some of the other crimes that I've heard about. And, so know, maybe it's sort of a mix of you hearing about the crimes that are familiar, but then also mixing it with the visual, the Cape visual Fear. of Cape Fear, right? Yeah. So it kind of blended in to make the perfect storm. Yep. Like, I've heard of this. Yeah, yep. could be. Police also found her three-year-old daughter Lisa dead in the toilet. Bastard. He had shoved her head into the toilet and stuffed the towels in afterward. Ugh. She also had a son who thankfully was unharmed, as Masak was known not to have harmed men or boys, only women and girls. Hmm. Now. Maybe that's some psychological thing on his father's abuse of his mother. Maybe, maybe, yeah. I, mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe so, he felt, maybe he felt anger at her for not doing more to stop the abuse, so and, he, and that turned into anger towards women in general. That's true. Then, in July 1975, Masak had taken his act on the road, attacking a woman inside a Woodstock laundromat and leaving her for dead in Woodstock, California. Hmm. 
police had eventually traced Masek to California and arrested him on December 5th, 1975. He was charged with the rape of the Wauwatosa woman, and while in custody, he signed confessions to the Wauwatosa and Fontana attacks. He would be convicted in April of 1976 and was committed to an indefinite term in Wisconsin's Central State Hospital under the provisions of Wisconsin's sex deviant statutes. Ugh. But that's not where he ended up, so. Good. He was later handed a term of 50 to 70 years for the attempted murder at Woodstock. Good. He then pled guilty to the murder of Paula Cupid on February 22nd, 1977, and received a life sentence. Good. Then, in September 1980, he was sentenced to 30 years for the Wauwatosa rape and received another sentence of, get this, 200 to 400 years for the killing of Nancy Lossman and her daughter. Now, see, they want to make sure he never got the hell out. But you know what? You know what's another thing? Wait till somebody's got their back turned. Walk in there with a forty-five and put a hole in it. <laughs> he, was, he was given like 500 years. That's what pisses me off, though. That means this piece of shit lived off tax dollars for years, probably. Oh, well, we'll get to that. Then in 1986, another crime was added to his account. On the evening of September 12, 1972... 14-year-old Sally Kendall was last seen at home just after 6 p.m. leaving to go on a bike ride. She promised to be home by 7 to help with dishes. She'd be found the next morning at 5.50 a.m. by a DuPage County deputy sheriff, lifeless between rows of corn in a muddy field just two miles from her house. Her bike was found on a gravel road nearby with the front wheel bent. It was determined that Sally died from severe head injuries, having found a skull fracture and deep gash in the back of her head. Hmm. She had over 22 lacerations to her head, and it was determined that Sally was beaten with a 16-inch grocery cart handle found near the road. Really? Man. She had a tear in her jeans that measured 14 inches long, and on her, her inner right thigh, there was a jagged bite mark that broke the skin that had been made just after she died. Poor baby. Oh, yeah. Man. Ugh. Part of her thumb had been cut off, and cuts had been made to her eyelids. Now, interestingly enough, a local by the name of Richard Malone was arrested for the murder when it was found that at one time he had kept a shopping cart handle in his car, the very same kind found at the scene. Mm -mm. He stated he kept it for protection but had lost it weeks back. A few dentists testified that they believed the bite mark matched Mr. Malone's teeth as well. However, one odontologist disagreed, stating that they didn't match. Malone was convicted for Sally's murder and sentenced to a term of 90 to 175 years. Aye, aye, aye. Then, at a prison review board in 1986, four dental experts testified that, thanks to advances in dental forensic technology, the bite marks actually matched Messick and not Malone. Good, I'm glad. Malone petitioned the governor for a claim of unconditional clemency, and finally, after additional review boards, Malone was released in 1982. I'd be like, that ain't my shit. More than 20 years after he like was convicted. 20, so he spent 20, 20 years, years in, prison in prison for something he didn't do. How in the hell do you even repay somebody for taking two decades of their life like that? They give him some some crap money and say, here, Massive sorry. Here's, money here, our bad. Here, here's $100,000 for your 20 years of your life. Sorry. That'd be like, kiss my ass, 100 grand per year. That's what I'm saying. Uh, per year, exactly. Per year, hello. I could have earned that, you know. Unfortunately, Masek would never be convicted of Sally Kendall's death. Bastard. As he decided that life plus in prison was not his cup of tea. On March 2nd, 1987, he was found hanging from an air vent with a pair of shoestrings looped around his neck. Enjoy hell, bitch. His death was ruled a suicide. Well, even if suicide or 
hung by somebody in the prison, to hell with him. Yeah, I mean, if it's one of those where the guards did it, no one's going to be yeah. crying over it. Mm-mm. No one's going to care. That's too bad now. they didn't. He, they didn't. Uh, Jeffrey Dahmer his ass, corner oh. him, and beat him to death with mop handles. Yeah, yeah. A nice, slow, painful death. He, he needed. Yeah, you know, you, you usually hear of stories of like child killers who yeah. um, get like get it really rough in, in prison. So mm-hmm. now, I guess, see, I'm. I, I know I talk a lot of smack and stuff like that, but me as a person. Mm-hmm. The last thing I ever really want to do is harm a hair on anybody's head. Right. I, I don't want to hurt nobody. I don't want right. to hurt no animals. I don't want to hurt people. Right. I don't. I don't even relish that thought. Mm-hmm. But I get angry at stuff like this. And oh yeah. Like I said, yeah. It's because you're I, also a I, rational, I, normal human being. Somewhat. Yeah. I mean, you <laughs> you, you don't want to hurt anybody, but you also no. don't want people to hurt. Uh, you don't no. want other people to hurt people, so no. you want to help real animals out there. Oh, there's terrible people out yeah. there. Yeah, um, and that was one of them. I mean, he he chose the coward's way out because he was a piece of shit. Yeah. But, um, you know. Well, good. Yeah. He got to hell quicker, and we didn't have to pay for him. That's a good point. That is a good point. Yeah, he's in hell getting yeah. getting ass raped by, sure by he, Hitler. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Well. <laughs> and um, probably Jeffrey Dahmer as well. Yeah. And John Wayne Gacy. Um, yeah, so, and, and we got to save money on this. So that's great. And didn't have to execute him. So Indeed. that's good. Yeah. It's so, too bad, though. Yeah. Kind of fun throwing that switch. He was... <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I don't know what, what Wisconsin's death uh, penalty is, whether it's that or... or Probably you know. not, because da- in, in Texas, if he'd have done that, he'd been dead man. That Texas lethal injection, right? Well, they're lethal injection now, but back then they used to be sparky. sparky. Yeah, that's right. That's They'd right. hook him up and run about 100,000 volts through him. Yeah. I still think for someone like that, the best method of death is hanging. Yeah. You know, or and kill, not him, even, kill him the same way they killed other people. But not even a hanging where it's a, it's a, it's a, a short rope and a quick drop. No, yeah. no, no. The type of hanging where, like... The, the whatever platform you're on slowly like leans forward and you yeah. slowly get your neck stretched. Yeah. I choked to death Slow. over about 15 minutes. Exactly. That is I, I fitting that punishment. Sounds, that sounds vicious of us to say stuff like that. Okay, no, no, no. That's not vicious of us. What we just heard, that vicious. was fucking vicious. Yeah. That was disgusting. That was that was a man who had so many problems. Yeah. What, 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 we, what we're saying here is sweet, sweet punishment. That's what it yeah. is. Indeed, so, indeed. Yeah. All right, man. Well, that's uh, it for this episode. Um, good time as always. Fantastic, uh, my friend. I know we need to remind people go to go leave us a review, rate us and review us on Apple and anywhere else they have they can. And if you'd like to support the show, please go to www.patreon.com forward slash state of fear. It's only seven bucks. It's cheap. Yep. <laughs> cheap and you get all kinds of, of all uh, kinds of extra material. Extra we've material. got uh, ad free episodes. Got commentary tracks. We've got reviews. We've got special episodes matter of fact uh we just released an episode to patreon of a live interview we did with the staff at the galveston Naval oh yeah Museum, that was cool which, that was, that was uh, a fun went, night which went well we had a lot of fun there interviewing the staff and and some of the paranormal investigators on site mm-hmm. and we did a little poking around ourselves man. we did yeah absolutely but, uh, it was just fun. seven dollars folks if yeah. you got a chance try it out if you don't like it hey bail and if you love uh, it, stick with us man we love it if the monthly thing is not your type of thing, if if, if you want to support us, but you just uh, you cannot yes. or you aren't able or do not want to support us monthly, that's perfectly fine. Because we also offer another way to support us um, at buymeacoffee.com. Yep. So we have started this. It's a one-time donation thing. You can buy us one cup of coffee, three cups of coffee, five, or whatever amount that you choose. Keep us awake on the road, folks. Yeah. So uh, go to buymeacoffee.com buymeacoffee.com backslash state of fear pod or you can find um the link on our twitter side or our instagram under the link tree that's true and help us buy us some coffee to keep us awake on this long drive across this country
country. Please. All any any cup of coffee that you buy us, of course, goes right back to the show. Yep. So if you don't want to do the monthly, please go check that out. And you can do a one-time donation. You can stay anonymous if you want to. It's totally up to you. Yes. Also, go check out the YouTube page. Still posting it there. We get all our episodes are on there, plus the bonus stuff as well. And, and lastly, one more quick thing. Yeah. If anybody has a personal story. Yes. We actually have one this week, so we, we'll, we'll add it to the end of the episode. But Nice. But if you do have a personal story or encounter or something you'd like to... Uh, discuss with us or share with the people mm-hmm. we would love to hear your story just send the actually just write it out i believe yep. and send it to us at data fair podcast at gmail.com we'll get it on the air we'll share it so james all right why don't we uh i think the next state we're heading on to is michigan is it michigan that's we're right michigan. so good old michigan we're so staying let's, up north that's right for at least for now anyway because <laughs> uh we'll come back down here in the south in a little bit well why don't we go ahead and get in the car and head off to michigan shall we amen brother let's go all right guys we'll see you later